Hello everybody, what's up? You're listening to I Was Just Wondering with me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's show is Justin O'Neill Miller, who wrote, directed and produced his fourth short film, Peggy. We jumped into Justin's film festival experience, his day job as an art director on Hollywood films like Prisoners, Baby Driver and First Man, and the pressures of being a parent in the age of social media. So, if you're running, stuck in a traffic jam, or sitting behind a desk at work, I hope you enjoy my interview with Justin. You've got your short film Peggy out right now, which is playing the festival circuit. How's that going for you? It's going incredibly well. We've gotten into you know, a handful of really exciting festivals, but more recently in particular, a couple really high profile ones like Cinequest mm-hmm. and Tribeca. And, you know, we kind of started off, this is my fourth short film. And I, I think I started off maybe somewhat ambitious, yeah. but I think maybe my hopes and dreams of getting into places like Tribeca had already been crushed. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like a very welcome, pleasant surprise to have people uh, recognize it in this way and in particular you know like right on the front end of the schedule I think that we we their first 10 festivals that we screened at which mm-hmm. ranged from being you know kind of smaller regional ones to like academy qualifying ones yeah you know, we, we came away with a best short award from seven of them Oh, so well, it was like, yeah, it was it was really remarkable to me because it's like you go into every one of these thinking that it's special and somewhat mm-hmm. important and everything. <laughs> and then and then you kind of gauge people's interest in whether or not it's connecting. You know, I knew that we had something kind of special, but I also this was maybe the first one that I had done where I was like, this is this is a comedy. Like mm-hmm. we're just, you know, mm-hmm. it knows it's a comedy and it's it's trying to get laughs maybe in some less likely ways like some some unorthodox ways once i made that realization i also just kind of wrote off the expectation of it being considered for awards and stuff like that which is kind of maybe a sad and obviously not quite right conclusion to arrive at but i think in general the the climate is such that comedy doesn't feel like it really gets recognized in that way so Mm, it's been especially rewarding i think to to see people want to you know recognize it and uh and i'm super appreciative how have you found because i know um, from my own personal experience when you have to submit your film to festivals that it can kind of feel like a bit of a lottery as you're filling in your application form and you're sending your money away and your uh, <laughs> your DVDs and stuff. I mean, in terms of the ones you sort of like picked, was it intentional that you'd go for some of the smaller ones and then some of the larger ones just to sort of more, for want for a better word, sort of play the field a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I suppose as far as festival strategy went, it was like, you know, I knew I wanted to submit to all the ones that we had been in before, mm-hmm. which were some, some decent sized ones like um, the Austin Film Festival the Atlanta Film Festival mm. um, and it was actually some of like a lot of those that I didn't get into this time right. um, and then there were always the surprises you know like the Calgary Film Festival mm-hmm. was our the Calgary International Film Festival was our first our world premiere and, and I and I went to that one and I just learned so much and I felt like the festival staff there really almost like took me under their wing. Mm-hmm. They nominated us for the best juried short film award there. Oh, wow. And, and we won the best, uh, the audience award for best short. And so the experience and the reception there was like pretty exhilarating. Mm-hmm. 
I think at that time we had gotten into, you know, I would say small to, you know, medium small festivals. And then I think a lot of the momentum that I kind of took out of the Calgary festival, you know, I started looking again at some of the bigger ones Mm -hmm. and making this big push to kind of like get on people's radar. And, um, and it's, it's been a lot of work, but but I think it's, you know, been paying off in large part and it the momentum is just snowballing in a way. In terms of when you win these awards, in terms of sort of like visibility from where you start out from pushing a, for, a short film from the very beginning to when you are winning awards and into sort of festivals, what sort of knock-on effect does that have on the profile of your film? Sometimes it's so hard to calculate. I'm married and I have mm-hmm. four kids and we often have to ask ourselves kind of like, what's the what's the trade-off you're like what's the one-to-one right and you know you go especially if you're flying across the country let's Mm. say or you know even internationally you know it's like a thousand dollars to go visit a festival Mm. probably by the time you've paid for everything because the because short films typically aren't included in in any kind of like travel stipend stuff Mm -hmm. and so it's something we've been talking about a lot because there's a real like kind of intangible, you know, it's a, it's very hard to plan for kind of like what you expect to get out of a festival. Yeah. And it's just something I've been talking to to some festival directors too as well, where it's like, it's the filmmakers that determine what you get out of it. Right. right. So it's like, you know, there's certainly awards and that, you know, you can put laurels on your, on your poster. And, you know, so there's even like, we've won one cash award, which is like super helpful because that was really the other thing. It was the, it was the the award and the reception at Calgary, yeah. and the cash award that we won at the Way Down Film Festival, mm-hmm. which really kind of like energized me and kind of also said, okay, well I've got some more money. I'm going to apply to more festivals and right. and just push even harder and use some of that to to travel with and stuff. And so a lot of it's like about these you know these connections that you make with other mm-hmm. filmmakers. Yeah. To my experience so far, there haven't been a lot of like big opportunity. Mm. I think when you are starting off, you you say, all right, I'm, I'm going to make a film, make it as best as I can. We're going to get into some festivals. And at those festivals, I'm going to meet people that want to give me money <laughs> to make my next thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. It's like just it's not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's like way more complicated and like mm. confusing free market, market like kind of rewards that you get from it where you do get to use those things to help propel your own film mm-hmm. and, and build on, on that. And I think that's one thing that I've learned on this one. And I imagine it's a little bit different, let's say, if like your world premiere is at something like Tribeca or Sundance. Mm-hmm. Because then I think it's like you start with this huge event and and everybody's already looking at you and oh i want i want to screen the sundance film and the tribeca film and stuff yeah but you know especially with me like kind of like building up to that i think it was a pretty interesting lesson to learn and it might be like a lesson that you in a way only have to learn once like because hopefully now i will be able to make films that are good enough to get in to something that makes a big crash right Mm -hmm. at the beginning I think that it's just like those really like uncalculatable connections that you make. Yeah, those sort of intangible ones that you just run into someone that just really digs what you're about. No, yeah. I think that's I think that's probably like what you just said is a huge part of it. Is it's about finding, you know, you go and see other people's films, they come and see yours, and then finding like this community of people that are like, man, I like what you're doing. 
and that whole kind of positive, competitive, mm. you know, artistic energy that really helps generate things like, you know, that whole kind of like lost generation vibe of, you know, all those like American expatriates living in Rome or in, uh, in Paris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, between the the wars that like really kind of created this whole new this whole new way of of writing and and that happened because they were a community. Mm. And so I think that that is it's hard to find I think these days. But but yeah, I especially on this short film, I found a lot of that in the festival circuit, and that's really kind of invigorating. So I just wanted to jump into your um, background because I noticed that you'd studied at Georgia Tech, the School of Architecture, that you'd started out studying design. And I was interested to know how studying design had helped you in your filmmaking career so far. I guess I guess what I'd like to say is that I am an art director by day and a filmmaker slash father by night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so in particular, me getting a foot in the door with art direction, which has definitely led to a ton of connections and opportunities Mm. and i think really a lot that i just haven't even cashed in on yet you know like there's the the network that i have in the film community now for my art directing career is quite large there's a there's there is a direct one-to-one connection i think between the design education that i got and the art direction career that i have And those translated over, like, I was surprised by how much it translated over. You know, it's like the same language when you're speaking to to construction guys, the same Mm -hmm. kind of, like, adjustment to reality and the constraints of the physical world and stuff, like figuring out how to move ideas into a real built environment. So all that stuff, I think, like, really directly translated. And then a lot of that, I think, like, you know, maybe – you know, for better or worse, it's like sometimes I feel like it's a, a detriment as much as it is a, a big help. But that same sense of, I think, approaching designs, you mm. know, especially kind of iteratively and structurally mm-hmm. um, is definitely a part of my writing and directing process. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that that probably always will be. I think sometimes I'm like fighting against it and sometimes I'm leaning into it. But I think that it's something I've come to terms with. It's like going to be, you know, it's like going to be hard to rewire me at this point. So it's like something I just got to figure out how to manage. So when you're thinking about a concept of a story, you're coming at it from more of a design point of view and then um, creating the narrative around that. You're thinking about what you're going to build first and then then almost like putting, putting the story inside of that. I'd say it kind of goes both ways. Um, I think that I'm always looking for ways to to include both, you know, to where to where there is like like let's say whether I have I have this big epic war miniseries that I want to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's huge. But mm-hmm. that was like definitely just based in pure you know story and character. Mm-hmm. But then I think when I approach that you know, and try to figure out how to break it all down and present it to people in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. there's definitely like a structural design process right. that I think is pretty close to the way that say I would design a house. But then I think there's other things where it's like, I think I have a, I have a core idea that I want to do. Like say I want to explore 
I have I have a feature film about I, I wouldn't say it's about toxic max, masculinity right. really kind of even at all, but it was because it was almost before I knew about that term. But it's more mm. about this kind of like uh, man boy culture and this like inability for for men to grow up seemingly right. today's world. And I think um, so. It's about these boys getting lost and trying to become men, basically. Yeah. Like when I say boys, they're like you know in their mid thirties, <laughs> but you know, they're like, they're like the typical benign right. man boy today, but it's, but I think that that's like, so that was like kind of a concept that it was like, man, here's like an idea that I'm, that I'm interested in exploring what mm. would be the right way to, to, you know, structurally build that. Yeah. And then, and then I go, okay, well maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a hike in the woods and they mm. get lost in the woods and, and and I approach it that way. So I think that yeah. it kind of happens in both directions. And I think that sometimes the you know the thing that I was talking about, where it's like you're trying to fight certain like default mm. approaches that you have, is that I, I think that I do have a tendency to maybe over-design things sometimes. Right. So it's like, oh, well, this character balances off of this character, which, you know, then is like, you know, in a, a thing with these other two characters. And it's like, well, at some point, like the whole thing just has to kind of like, if not feel real, it has to feel true. Yeah. And, and it's like, I can definitely sometimes see myself like getting things, if not overcomplicated, like just kind of almost too abstract and theoretical and mm. really needing to like ground myself back into, you know, the, the truth of mm. the idea. One of the tens of drama is it's unbalanced. And I guess if you're designing like a building or something, it's all about balancing something and making sure that it all, all the four feet or whatever you're sort of designing are all balanced and perfectly situated. Whereas drama tends to be a lot more sort of like messy and a lot more unformed and almost in some cases sort of like half finished. So I guess it's working those two little, um, polar opposites into something as well and how, how to balance those two Absolutely. things out. No, that's a great point. And I think that's like one way that I approach architecture kind of, you know, on a critical level as well is that it's like, for me, a lot of architecture now isn't building. It's more like sculpture and like social design or something, right. you know, it's yeah, like yeah. about like, oh, this is how I want a person to have to experience the world when they're inside one of my buildings, as opposed to like what, you know, like that whole Corbusier building as a machine for living that it's like supposed to be this thing in which it makes life easier not necessarily like how you want Mm. people to be so I think that that's a pretty interesting parallel because I I think that I often try to approach filmmaking as like an exploration of an idea instead Mm. of a sermon I guess just jumping back to your day job as an art director I noticed you've worked on projects like Ant-Man Baby Driver First Man these are huge huge blockbuster films and I just wondered what was your sort of day-to-day job like working as an art director on those films yeah that's a good question because it it changes drastically from show to show my main job is Mm -hmm. to is to realize the vision of the production designer right who in many ways is essentially kind of considered the lead art director yeah you know and then when the team gets bigger let's say like on first man there were you know five art directors i'm often just trying to realize like a certain aspect of that right you know it's like on that show it's so big that that there's like all these different pieces of the movie that have to get put together so i mean like on baby driver i was i I draw also like as with a background in set design so sometimes i'll start off basically 
um, as a set designer and then switch into art direction mm -hmm. so that I can, you know, help kind of see the rest of the show through and, and, right. and oversee the construction of that set that I just drew. So I, so I did, I drew the, um, the diner right. that okay. is kind of a cent centerpiece in that movie. And then I oversaw the construction and also became among other things, like a, a vehicle art director. Right. So it was about like all the continuity because for one, one car that I think that in particular there was like one there's one red hero car that there were actually like 14 different vehicles that all wow. had to be that same car yeah so it's like we had first of all you have to get them all to the same point and then some of them are damaged because we're shooting them out of order and like just coordinating all of that stuff and making sure that the damage is replicated onto different vehicles there was a couple like real sculptural uh, pieces in particular on that that what we called the demon car right. at the end that uh, John Hamm is driving the police charger so so there's that you know which in a car movie I did a lot of cars and then in First Man in particular uh, was the art director on the Apollo One mm -hmm. and then also like oversaw some really cool stuff like the um, Agena Gemini docking stuff and this oh, wow. really cool kind of zero gravity yeah. scene yeah. and so it's like a completely different thing every time where a lot of it though is just that same basic idea of let's say taking an idea or a, or a drawing mm -hmm. and then figuring out how to work with a contractor or you know a, a construction mm -hmm. coordinator or foreman to actually make the thing do what we need to do in the real world um, and working with guys like uh, Denis Villeneuve and and Edgar Wright yeah and yeah. Damon Chazelle these guys are all like they like the stuff they, if it's at all possible you know having it real in camera mm -hmm. is is their basic approach and that's like challenging but exciting I think as well to 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 have to make that stuff work in camera they've got a very sort of a singular vision of exactly what they want I'm assuming mm -hmm. and it must be very sort of research based and I imagine they're very detail obsessed in terms of getting it I guess like factually accurate um so how much research going into these projects do you have I mean did you spend a lot of time sort of researching the first uh, moon landing yes yeah and definitely a lot I mean you know we had uh not only the NASA like you know training manuals and things like that for the for the apollo and gemini missions but also like the the transcripts and the logs and stuff like that which um josh singer used you know a, a lot of that stuff and and the book you know from the book that it's based on yeah. but used a lot of that to get a, a lot of that dialogue and realism built into it mm -hmm. but we were often yeah like you know digging into those ourselves in order to to make sure we understood how this needed to get put together yeah. so that it could get on screen and um and yeah i mean it's i grew up on the space coast in florida oh, okay yeah yeah like right you know below cape canaveral where all those um rockets and shuttles shoot oh, off oh so you could see them like blasting off on a regular basis yeah on a really regular basis yeah <laughs> i totally took it for granted oh really you know? oh wow and, and so it was like a really fun uh, revisit of my mm. childhood to get to dig back into that stuff because I've always really loved it and um, and so yeah I mean I, I got I was gobbling that stuff up definitely should stop short of saying that I know how to um, pilot a uh, spacecraft <laughs> but, 
but I think like I at some point, yeah, I spent four months pretty much studying how to do it. And, you know, on some kind of theoretical level, I kind of kind of knew what was going on. Yeah. Do you think that's where you're um, from seeing those space shuttles flying up into the sky? Is that perhaps where your love of design came from? I think on some level it must. I think also on just a really kind of personal level, my mother's father, so what's that, my maternal grandfather, he was a really, or he is, he, he's, he lives in Oklahoma, and he is this really kind of self-taught savant in a lot of ways, right. and, I've, and he built his own home, and, um, you know, still lives in it today, and that is like one of my life goals, and I've always... Um, you know, like yeah. people building their own homes just mm. feels like this another level of like disconnect kind of that we that we have yeah. these days. And mean, and yeah. I've always really, really admired that about him from a crazy early age. Like yeah. you know, I mean six or seven years old, I remember being like, I want to build my own house. And so I think that there was some really simple level to it there. But then, yeah, I would say that also that implicit part of growing up on the Space Coast is just mm. that there's like, you know, ne- very nearby, there's people figuring out these insane engineering problems of like mm. how to escape the Earth's atmosphere and stuff, you know? Yeah, I think there are definitely parallels between going to space and, and making a film in terms of the amount of sheer amount of effort and communication and, and money it takes to produce something. Obviously, I don't think the, yeah. the, risks, the risks aren't quite as great, but if you do make a bad one, you can end up in um, in movie jail, being the only sort of downside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's definitely there's definitely a interesting parallel. I mean, I remember on First Man, you know, realising because Damien's first two films were so directly focused on the pursuit and struggles of the artist, kind mm. of, right? Like in... in in Whiplash, it's about um, well, and actually, even too his previous film that it, that was at Tribeca, the uh, Guy and Madeline on the park bench, but mm. um, but especially Whiplash, which was about this drummer, the ambition of this yeah. really talented drummer, and then La La Land, which was about a talented jazz jazz musician and a talented mm. actress, and their you know their attempts to kind of like make their um, their artistic endeavors work in mm. in a complicated world and i think that and, and you know i remember making parallels a little bit to to first man and like you know it's a completely different story but just in in a sense too there's like a very interesting parallel between that artistic drive and mm. then this you know this uh that same kind of drive but applied to you know, engineering and, and actual constraints mm. in the real world. And now that you've mentioned this too, I'm also just thinking about how there's like this, you know, there's this tension in the space race between the US and Russia and who's gonna get there first and all this stuff. And it's like this big rush. And there's there's an element of that too, like in filmmaking where like, you know, somebody else has the same ideas that you have. There's definitely a little bit of a race to get to production and to get it in front of people before the idea is kind of like done by somebody else, right? So I just wanted to jump in and just talk about um, Peggy and where the idea for that story uh, came from. Um, I'd love to. So the, so there's like three real seeds, I think, that it came from that all got squished up into one. And the first one was 
like story that was told to me by a friend about his nephew and his nephew's birthday party. That seed, like I just stuck in my pocket for a long time because I was like, that's kind of crazy. That is crazy, um, yeah. So and I was like, yeah, I guess it, you know, it's like it really works at a birthday party kind of thing. And then at my son's eighth birthday party, and my son plays Ander, the the eight year old that you know he's he was probably he was probably ten when we shot it. He's eleven now. At his eighth birthday party, I think it was, he got all these presents. I realized what I would never really want him to have normally. And like we're not like terribly mm. overbearing, I would say about a lot of stuff, but we are like pretty careful. Mm-hmm. So you know, there was just like you know, we try not to like let them just like get totally hyped up on sugar all the time and watch tons of stuff that we don't like and play zombie games and stuff like that. But he was like getting all these things for his birthday. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, why is like these people know that we don't want to have this stuff. So are they just like intentionally kind of sabotaging Mm. our parenting style or what's happening here? You know, that, so that was another seed that I kind of stuck in my pocket and I was like, okay, well that's two birthday ideas. I don't know if they, you know, mush up together yet but there's two ideas and then my so my wife mindy who has a role in the short as the woman driving the van with the six-year-old daughter yeah 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 and my sister who also has a very short part where she realizes um the homemade sprinkles on the cake oh yeah um that's my sister and so those they are both at the time maybe they even weren't but now they are they are both housewives and um, like we have four kids and my mm-hmm. sister Stephanie has two. You know, I think that that these women juggle like so many things and are and have such a huge responsibility right. and are often kind of really underappreciated in today's world, you know, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like, yeah, I know you're a housewife, but like, what do you do? You know, like mm-hmm. what like what, what else do you do? What do you do? to be a meaningful person. (laughs) It's like raising children isn't enough. Yeah, it's like, hey, let them them do their thing for a minute. Like, there's an important phase of their life and everything. And Mm. yeah, so there's there's like an underappreciation there and also this like really overbearing, I think, social media-driven kind of pressure put on women in general hmm. but i think probably probably especially on on housewives and on mothers who like are able to see you know these pinterest pages and these blogs and stuff hmm. of these women who just appear to be in completely perfect harmony with the world it's like you know they can juggle all of these things and still have time to blog about it yeah and just you know every every one of their pinterest photos is perfectly composed hmm. but you know, outside the realm probably of that, like they're just as stressed out as everybody else and just as struggling on some level or another, whether it's financial or emotional, mm. kind of partnered together with with realizing that people must look at my wife and my sister with some of that. And, and that's kind of where the whole like, fuck you, Peggy thing came from was that right. it was like, it was like, come on, like, are you kidding me? Like, you've got four kids, you're still gorgeous have it all right but then also knowing that my my wife and my sister are looking at other women on facebook and pinterest Mm. with that same kind of mentality and realizing that it's just kind of like it probably all just like circles back around and there's just a bunch of people feeling imperfect in this like social media sphere uh this is a bit tangential but it kind of reminds me because i went to to acting school and um one of my teachers was um, Felicity Huffman who has just been caught up in this huge college admission bribery case 
Yeah, and she totally. was in she was in Desperate Housewives, and it just it was sort of interesting at the idea of you think that somebody like what problems does that person have in terms of yeah. career success and money? Well, one of the problems clearly was that her her child wasn't I guess like at the right sort of level to get into these really super elite sort of universities, mm-hmm. and I think it's astonishing that you think even somebody that sort of like level that sort of success has that sort of like pressure in all aspects of their lives to present this image. It can it can unravel very 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 quickly. And that's even, I mean, it really is um, an interesting case study because, like, think of the desperation that must be, I mean, I'm sure on some level is presented as this kind of, like, easy fix, right? Mm. But also, it's like, think of, I think, how desperate you must need to feel in order to risk, like, your entire livelihood Mm. in order to, to pursue that option instead of just being like sorry babe i guess you're just going to get into whatever school you get into (laughs) yeah instead like risking everything because now they're not in that school they're all like you know their Mm. parents are going to go to jail or whatever it's like in some ways i can kind of understand wanting the best for your child but at a certain point there must come a point where you're like there are other things in life you know, there's a, there may be other things you might right. be amazing at that perhaps going to an Ivy League school just just isn't for you. But yeah. then they're probably looking at their all their friends mm. and seeing mm. all their friends get into you know their friends' kids get into these schools. Yeah, and it's that whole like keeping up with the Joneses mm. thing, you know, which is like part of this whole conversation. I think you know with the Felicity Hoffman stuff, by I think trying to trying to keep up with with this idea of a human being that that isn't really attainable. I just wanted to ask about Peggy in terms of that character because it is only a short film but it's kind of hinted and what I took from that character was that she'd built this great sort of like social armour up of perfection but underneath it maybe there was some sort of trauma or there was something underneath it there was almost a fragility to somebody who was so strong and so perfect but underneath it was maybe lacking a, a severe amount of sort of like confidence in some in some regard. That's pretty insightful I think there's there's definitely something I mean, I think that, you know, in general, when you're writing any kind of character, there has to be like something broken about them on some level in order for it to be um, relatable. You know, like I think there has to be some kind of fragility, like you're saying, or I think that in particular for me, the first three quarters of the film is about presenting Peggy as this you know, suburban goddess. Mm. And then seeing when she's talking to her husband, you like start to see the cracks show. Mm. She's still kind of keeping her face on, but she's also like, man, I like, this is not something that I'm able to take on right now because Mm. I'm like already overburdened and, yeah. And uh, I'm at a breaking point kind of vibe. And I think that that's the way that a lot of people feel. Um, I know that finding that kind of like core, moment you know and talking it over with my wife a lot and yeah like with my sister and and her husband my brother-in-law who was also the dp oh, okay. um and and producer so it was a real like yeah. family affair yeah it was yeah and, and so i think you know kind of really it's like we feel like that a lot you know it's like it's like i'm i'm you know by most accounts like you know i um I make a living that can provide for my family. Yeah. I get, I have a really cool job. Like that's a hard job a lot of times, but, but you know, it's like still we are dealing with that same kind of like, man, like we, we feel so stretched thin. And I think that, I don't know if that ever goes away because I think that we might be designed to not ever feel completely satisfied. Mm. You know, like I think that there's, 
a kind of insatiable quality to human nature that mm. that we wanted this film to partly be about. I think that's true. I And the more I think about it as well, just from my own personal experience, there's always something you're striving for. There's always, there's always that next thing, because I guess if you're like completely satisfied, I guess you just sort of like stop or you're being pulled in four different directions and trying to do four things at once. And then I guess like just managing that feeling, because if it doesn't go away then how do you, I guess, like, how do you sort of like place that in your own life where you can, where it's sort of like a healthy? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've met a couple people, like I know a couple people, good friends who I think have come to terms with that. And they're mm. like, you know, they're like, hey, this is good enough. You know, that takes like an, an immense amount of wisdom, right? Mm. And to like, to be like, hey, I don't need everybody to, in the world to know who I am or, you know, like I don't have to go make films and try to get them out in front of the world because I'm I'm just okay to be right here and and so nobody knows who they are. <laughs> and that's like kind of kind of amazing. Yeah. You know, there's like this incredible amount of strength to that. Yeah. That uh, I envy on some level because I mean, like I'm I'm more the guy that's like going, man, I have this idea that I I feel compelled mm. to tell, and meanwhile I know somebody else is trying to tell it, and I want to tell it first. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, that, and so there's. There's a trade-off to that mm. for sure, and it's either you know time away from your kids, mm. um, you know I mean like pretty big trade-offs. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. Think it's a conversation that you know I think that we are always having with our family and and trying to figure out how to how to not just like maybe be like more successful or more wealthy or something like that, but I yeah. think try to make the world a little better place. Mm. in whatever capacity we can. You mentioned talking, uh, working with your brother-in-law. There was one particular shot that really caught my attention in the short film. Liz and, is it Smidge is his name? No, that is right. Yeah, okay, there's Liz and Smidge. <laughs> they enter Peggy's party and then you have that wonderful steady cam shot. It circles around them then you see like the bouncy castle and the, the cake and all that sort of stuff. And I just wondered, how did you come up with that idea and how did you execute that with a ton of that shot absolutely is to chris's credit he is a professional uh, camera operator and director of photography on big projects as well so we've both kind of come up in the atlanta film scene here and you know we both work full-time on these big projects when and then in between we try to do our own right so he's he and i both really appreciate uh like well photographed films and mm. you know we really like very deliberate camera moves if 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 there is movement at all yeah <laughs> and i think yeah when we move the camera we want it to be like really deliberate and for a good reason and so in that particular shot i can't remember exactly how it was written except that there definitely was this moment where there's like a little bit of build up to this party and there's like people like, you know, anxious about it and the impressions mm. that they're going to make. And, you know, and then we pull up and there's like, you know, a kind of fuzzy bounce house in the background. Yeah. And then we knew that when we pushed into that party for the first time that it kind of had to be this, you know, as much of a breathtaking moment as we were capable of making with the means to us. 
that we really needed to feel that same kind of like, my God, like what a party. Like this is, this is, are you kidding me? This is a kid's birthday party. It becoming this one long Steadicam shot just mm. became, you know, but by Chris's design in particular, this like, you know, we wanted to see their reaction, which I think in the audience then makes you go like, what are they looking at? You know? Yeah. And then you turn around to look at it. And then just having all the characters kind of weave through mm. that shot mm. just became like a really kind of fun choreography and a way for us to establish that like more or less we're at the party that everybody's here. Now we get to like start to sink our teeth into what the rest and you know the bulk of the short is about. Yeah. So it was like almost kind of like the beginning of Act Two or something right. where we like kind of settle in to the party. We got to see most of it in that shot. And, and Chris in particular is a Steadicam operator. We had a, um, a really great up-and-coming um, Steadicam operator named Josh Heaturks operate that shot under Chris's tutelage. And it was a really fun and difficult shot to pull off. But I always love, yeah, the kind of like stillness and the audience during that moment. A friend who I met, that he's one of the programmers at the Calgary International Film Festival. Yeah, He used this phrase to describe that shot in particular that um, I put, I've put like on our postcards, like our little advertising yeah, postcards, because yeah. I think the word combination is so incredible. He called it needlessly impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that. It, yeah. He was yeah. like, why, why is the best shot in the entire festival in this little short film? You know, <laughs> it's re- I mean, I must say it's really, really impressive. Thank you. I I love that shot, and I take very little credit for it. <laughs> I think it is is very much um, that shot would not have been that if Chris had not been on mm-hmm. this project with me. So I definitely give him like all of the credit for it. So I also did notice that Smidge is played by Josh Warren, who is who turns up in another one of your uh, short films called The Roach. So I just That's wondered right, yeah. how uh, in connect, how interconnected are your short films, and are you building up to a sort of Marvel style shared universe? Uh, I would love to do that. <laughs> um, the I would say that three of the four that I have made are basically, you know, kind of in a somewhat persistent universe. And I suppose mm-hmm. the fourth one is as well called Restitution, but mm-hmm. that one is more of like a sci-fi. You know, it's set in the nearish future yeah. where um, cloning is kind of like a part of the medical industrial complex. So it's a stretch to maybe say that it's in the same yeah. world but i would love to find a way to connect them some at some point but <laughs> i think that this might be a little bit of that like structural what, what's the right word like like where i might be slightly crippled by my right. ability to try and structurally build everything into some universal narrative because i love that stuff for sure yeah and i think i'm always like trying to figure out how it can like fit into one big bubble Mm. and um and sometimes i feel like that might inhibit my ability to like say make something that is super achievable right now even even i think like implicitly i'm trying to kind of make everything fit together but yeah smidge is like smidge is in like four different things that i've written that nobody has seen yet so he's like a recurring character for sure (laughs) did you meet josh because i noticed you worked on footloose is that how you guys sort of linked up well that was the first time that we met but very briefly and i think even at the time i didn't know that chris my now brother-in-law that shot this 
was at some point Josh's roommate. So they go way back, and I think that it was on the Roach. I didn't meet him until we did the Roach um, in a real way, like where we actually like got to know each other. And Chris was like, "Man, I think that Josh would be perfect for this character." Yeah, and I was like, "I think he probably would be too." So we brought him in to play a very similar kind of like lovable goof, mm-hmm. you know, of, of a character. Yeah. Um, it's like set during more of like his college days mm-hmm. and they're just like playing video games and then trying to keep their friend from going over to an ex-girlfriend's apartment right. to kill Roach. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, we just, I think I luckily have hit it off with pretty much everybody that I've worked with and in particular like the actors that I've worked with but yeah I mean that character is just such a great like foil kind of you know that it's it's hard not to write that character into everything (laughs) (laughs) funny if Smid was in this scene and he was doing this right (laughs) there's a few there's a few um directors that have actors that they just cast in everything over and over again I'm now struggling one that comes to mind is Aaron you know the guy who played in Pi. He like finds a little role for him in almost everything. It feels like. Yeah, yeah, true. And I'm thinking James Gunn always casts Michael Rooker in pretty much everything right. he's ever done. Just moving on, you're currently developing Peggy into a half an hour comedy series. So what's the process like going from a short film script into a long format comedy? We have a pretty good idea of what the show needs to be and uh, even of what the pilot should be and Mm -hmm. so i think that we're gonna the next step is to actually write the pilot while we are concurrently um designing like a real kind of visually exciting pitch right and of course the the proof of concept essentially is the short Mm -hmm. and it i think it is that same world throughout but we kind of have like a big hook that's not anywhere in the short that I think was necessary to make it a show. So I guess like take all these same characters and tone and even some of the same elements, but kind of add this big overall hook that is for the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, you know, conceptually, I think like how we approached it, the actual process of us now going and and finding out who we can make it with, um, we're still in the middle of. In particular, I've met a couple people on the festival circuit. So this is like directly leads into some of those early questions about like what, you know, how do you build momentum on the festival circuit and stuff. I've met a couple people there that have really kind of taken me under their wing because, you know, it's like I didn't I didn't think really at all about Peggy as a series until it was on the festival circuit and people were like I've never seen something like this how do I see more of it and like I want to I want to see and and I realized well I'm working on this other thing they're like no I actually want to see more of this right so that just like you know it didn't maybe take much dreaming to figure out what I think could be a really good foundation for for the series yeah And, and I just found a few people that were like hey let's get this stuff together you know, producers and showrunners on real projects that have basically become attached to the project, we will go pitch together um, in the near future to try and get essentially a show that is, I would say, you know, in the scale of Barry on HBO or uh, Atlanta on FX. So those are the those are the basic comparables, I think, for us. Because Atlanta is like a hotbed for filmmaking. I mean, they shoot so much stuff there. Is that where you'd set 
Peggy, I'm assuming? It kind of was always in my mind set there. I think yeah. it could very easily just kind of be like an everywhere America. Mm. But I think that there are some, some Southern flavors to this story, um, even if they're not super apparent in in the short i think that there's you know there's there's something about southern hospitality Mm. the gloss that we put on top of like some relatively ugly things are very ripe for this story to explore and just thinking about like where ideally where you'd like something like this to end up because i'm thinking obviously like netflix amazon or would you think of something a bit more say like a cbs or one of the major sort of like networks yeah i mean i feel like the way that things are right now you know i guess i guess what i'm saying is i don't really think that i have a really hard preference except Mm. that i i wouldn't see this being more of like a new girl type sitcom right which my wife and i have been watching a lot lately and if the network was willing to let us make a show that was more in line with Barry or Mm. Atlanta and those kind of be a little bit more bit slower I think a little more serialized um, and kind of like really be able to tell this larger story we're building into Right. right now I think that I'd be open to it but I mean I think that the out loud the you know I think the closest thing to say like you know, an ABC or Fox or something that we've discussed is FX. Right. Yeah, which, yeah. Um, you know, I think has done an incredible job with Atlanta. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like just even yeah, having conversations with people about it, like would help steer some of what it is. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it's like a pretty flexible idea. So I just wanted to ask you, we touched on it a little bit earlier before, but your dream project, if time and money wasn't an object... Oh, man. Yeah, my dream project. Let's see. I mean, it probably would be that one that I mentioned. I have the rights, a novel about the Maccabean revolt, which is an intertestamental Braveheart type story Mm -hmm. that is set in ancient Israel against the Greek occupiers. Wow. Okay. The descendants of Alexander the Greek. Well, yeah. Maybe the descendant one of one of the factions, the Seleucid Empire mm-hmm. that split off after Alexander the Great died. Right. After he conquered the known world, including Israel. And they essentially tried to kind of outlaw Judaism in the Jewish state and these unarmed, yeah. uh, untrained fighters basically revolt against the strongest army the world had ever seen and long story short they gain their independence um however shortly so it's a huge project that's packaged like a band of brothers thing and um that is something that i am actively fighting for but it is quite large mel gibson was very interested in this at some point and it's my hope that he still is okay that we we could work together (laughs) oh right (laughs) yeah it's very much a braveheart type story and i think that also um there's a really like careful way to tell this story Mm. that um everyone would end up being very happy with it sounds really intriguing very vast i think that's the thing of like marrying huge scale with an emotionally engaging story and it seems to be all there it is and it's like i think too it has a really flawed hero in a lot of ways but one i think today's audiences are like really really hungry for Mm. where it's like just if you have a a hero that like even if you don't necessarily believe in what they believe in Mm -hmm. but if like they have if you have a hero that just believes in something 
you know, I think that's like so rare right now yeah. in storytelling. And I think people would gobble it up. Have you met Mel Gibson? Because I was working red carpet at Daddy's Home too, and he came up and mm-hmm. you're trying to sort of figure them out as individuals, as people, separated from what you've read and, and heard about them, and kind of what makes right. them different. And what struck me about him particularly is that he was incredibly smart, very, very well mm. spoken, and and supremely intense. You could just tell that he was a very intense mm. I- individual. Not mm. met him yet, mm. but that all sounds right to me i've had a few you know like a few movie stars that i've worked with Mm. enough to have met them and like seen them on a semi-regular basis and Mm. and also some movie stars where it's like that level of intensity yeah just like never goes away Mm. (laughs) which i think is part of why Mm. they're so captivating to watch just sort of wrapping up i was just interested to know what film and television show and possibly game that you're looking forward to most to in 2019 oh yeah great question the lead-in while i'm thinking is is not something that's coming out this year and i don't know when it is but spike jones whatever he's doing next like it's been it's been like five or six years i think Mm. since her and like i'm so anxious for for his next project (laughs) um let's see i think my favorite show on tv right now is homeland i'm like super impressed by that show and everything that they juggle so that might be the show i'm most excited for because they definitely are working on another season i think our movie might be jordan peele's us super excited for that i think that comes out like in a couple days and then a video game man i like do not get to play as many video games as I would like to. I bet you don't hear people say that too often. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't ever get to play video games, but I, I kind of live vicariously through gaming reviews right. and stuff. So I'm trying to think of what I know that's coming out. One of my favorite franchises is XCOM from the from the original one, like right. I, like and up until the most recent i haven't even played the most recent expansion and the one that i'm most excited for is doom eternal which is a sequel to the doom reboot that came out in 2016 oh, yeah. you know the i can't think of the name of it right now but is the um the metal gear solid guy oh hideo kojima's um death stranding that's another one that i'm looking forward is to. that coming out this year he's been posting like crazy on instagram um about it but i'm a release date has not been confirmed the only other one i'm really really looking forward to was the last of us 2 because i really enjoyed the first one. Oh man I, Dog. that is super exciting and that's one of those games that like i've lived vicariously through reviews so far and mm. i i also with four young children have not had the time to to play it but i really want to i guess when they get a bit older you can get into playing video games with them like we get we just got kingdom hearts 3 oh, okay that a little bit and really yeah. like it I have two boys and then two girls oh, and the nice. two boys are constantly asking about Fortnite and so we try to play that on occasion but not Oh what about um Cyberpunk? That might be the one that's like most intriguing to me mm. because that um concept definitely looks like something I would really enjoy and that whole world feels just really really intriguing. So there you have it. I had a great time chatting with Justin. Please do like and subscribe to the show on SoundCloud and YouTube and drop a comment or two. And you can get in touch with me at the Salmoning01 on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Tom and I'll catch up with you next episode.